Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. I don't usually wear a tie or a blazer, and I've had a number of people now comment on that. Wonder what's going on. Uh, I assure you, there's nothing extraordinary about this Sunday. Uh, We went to a funeral yesterday, and since the shirt was ironed and the tie was out, (laughs) thought I'd cash in on it twice. (laughs) Hey, this morning I want to talk about uh, not giving up and uh, and asking God for help. There are uh, there's really no way to stop time, but there are two surefire ways to slow it down. One is to wait for something that you like, and the other is to go through something you don't. Example, it is scientifically proven, I don't know if you've heard this, that in the state of Wisconsin, the three months that make up winter are much longer than the three months that make up summer. It's an odd phenomenon, but if you've lived here long enough, you get what I'm saying. Another example, what are the, what, uh, the four words every child has uttered since the invention of the automobile? Are we there yet? <laughs> now, what's the difference between are we there yet? And are we there yet? <laughs> the first one, that's what they say in the first hour of the the car trip to the family vacation. There's something uh, good in their future and they're excited about it. The second one is about five hours into that same car trip and the kid is just done, wants the ride to be over and is thinking, this is dumb, should have stayed at home. (laughs) When you're waiting for something good, time seems to slow right down, doesn't it? I tell you, you go home and book tickets for a week in Maui for two months from now, those will be the longest two months of your life followed by the shortest week of your life. Likewise, if you're going through something hard, time also seems to slow down, doesn't it? It seems to take a lot longer. And the harder it gets, the slower it goes, and the slower it goes, the harder it gets. And when this happens, we get discouraged. Um, our passion might wane, our motivation dwindles, and we can get to the point where, um, where we want to give up. And a lot of people do. And I tell you, the exact same thing is true in life if you're going to follow Jesus. Uh, following Jesus means there's something amazing in the future. Amen. <laughs> but it's easy to come out of the gates with a white hot passion for Christ. It's easy to start off uh, excited and passionate, but as time goes by and life beats you up, right, because that's just kind of what life does, right? There are people are jerks and there's financial struggles and health battles and we lose loved ones and all sorts of hard things. Every single one of us in this room uh, will get to the point where we feel like we're done. We're all at risk of losing heart. We are all uh, at risk. We're, we will all be tempted to, to just get to give up on Jesus. And sometimes that's just because we feel like he might have given up on us. 
Other times, uh, you might start to wonder if following him actually matters. What's the point? Uh, is this actually worth it? But the truth is, Jesus doesn't want you to give up. He wants you to finish the race. And he knows that you can't do it alone. So he wants you to ask God to help you along the way. I want to read this passage today uh, and look closely at it. It's Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And so I'll read it, and then let's pray together. And when I pray, I invite you to pray with me in your heart. Let's just ask God, would you help us to get this? And, um, and then I want to look at it closely. And my goal is that you will leave here today committed to looking to God for help on a regular basis. So here it is, uh, Luke chapter 18, verses, verses 1 through 8. And I, I think you're going to see two things will be very clear in here. One, Jesus doesn't want you to give up. And two, God wants to help you along the way, all right? So here it is, Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect? who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it endures forever. So let's pray about this, church. Uh, uh, Jesus, we, we, hear, we hear you explain this parable, and we want to get the point. We know it means something. And we know it means something important, or else you wouldn't have taught it, and Luke wouldn't have recorded it. So I ask now that you would uh, send your spirit into, the, into our hearts and into this room and help, help, help our brains get this, God. But more than that, would you also help our emotions to get it and our souls to get it? God, would, it, would you let it gonna sink down into our hearts in a way that changes us, that would change the way we know you and relate to you and depend on you and look to you for help in all things. In Jesus' beautiful name I pray, amen. So this conversation was going on, uh, or when this conversation was going on, uh, the, the, uh, the question was when will the kingdom come? That's what, that's what the, they were discussing when Jesus spoke these words. When will the kingdom come? You hear that? That's, that's an are we there yet uh, type of conversation. That's a how much longer type conversation. When will this great consolation finally arrive? When will all the, the painful earth stuff be done and the wonderful heaven stuff 
When's that going to be the only thing that exists? And I tell you, no area of theology seems to draw more speculation than the end times. Ministries always tend to, well, not all, not all ministries and not always, but ministries often tend to go to one of two extremes, either obsessing over it excessively or ignoring it entirely. And both of those extremes are a mistake. And the speculation when, when certain uh, uh, groups of Christians tend to uh, obsess over end times, the speculation always seems to swarm around two questions. When is this going to happen? Like, let's try to figure out the date and what exactly is it going to look like? Because I want to be able to know what's going on and where we're at in the timeline. But here's the deal. The teaching of Jesus on the end times always seems to focus on two exhortations. One, be ready. Because this could happen at any moment. So be ready. And two, stay faithful. Because this might not happen for a really long time. And, and so think about this. Why, why does the Bible talk about the, the future? It's so we can prepare our hearts and not necessarily our charts. And Jesus knows his followers are going to be discouraged. That's why he talks about it. He knows they're going to want to give up, but he wants them to keep going. So, verse 1, he told them a parable to the effect, why did he tell this parable? That they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He doesn't want us to lose heart. He doesn't want us to faint. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't want our spiritual heartbeat to weaken to the point we are utterly fatigued. So he says, keep praying. Keep asking God. You see the correlation? Keep asking God for help. You don't want to lose heart. I don't want you to lose heart either. You can't do this on your own. So keep praying. Keep looking to God for help. So he tells them a parable. Now, what's a, what's a parable again? This is a, a story that uses like earth stuff to illustrate heaven stuff. That's all, that's all a parable is. He tells them this parable. Verse 2, he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. So this make-believe judge in this parable, in this fable, the make-believe judge, he doesn't care about God's law. He doesn't care about what God has to say about justice and so on. And nor did he care about people. He doesn't care what people have to say about anything, and he doesn't care. He really kind of cares about himself, I'd assume. Verse 3, and there was, there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. So it doesn't specify the nature of the injustice, but she's gone through something hard, and, and someone has wronged her, and she wants the judge to do his job. She wants the judge to do something about it. Verse 4, so for a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man. <laughs> As if someone would utter those words, but that's what's going on in this guy's brain. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The judge says, listen, I honestly don't care what God has to say about what is just and what isn't, and I don't care what anyone else has to say, but my goodness, this pesky lady, she's wearing me out. <laughs> Gotta get her off my back. So he gives her justice. What does that mean? He acts on her behalf. He does something to right the wrong. So what's the heavenly point that this earthly parable 
is trying to teach, I believe it is this. Jesus is saying, you're going to want to give up, and I want you to persevere. And you're going to need to ask God for help if you want to make it to the end. Three details that will help us understand this, this parable. First one, God is immeasurably more willing to give justice than the judge. He follows Jesus. To, to make his point here, he's going to contrast the, the make-believe judge, the unrighteous judge, with the real-life God who is just. Verse 6, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. He said, pay attention, pay attention. Like, think about what that judge said. And then think about this. Will not God give justice to his elect? Jesus is saying, think about the judge in the parable. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about people. And even if, 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 if even he gave that widow justice, how much more do you think God is eager to, to help his people out. This is a how much more argument. This is an argument from the lesser to the greater. How much more is God? He's not an unrighteous judge. He's not a selfish God. He, he is just and he cares about people. How much more is God who is full of compassion? This God who is an ever-present help in time of need. How much more is he going to stop what he's doing and make himself available and attend to the needs of his people? Hey, the judge didn't care about people, and even he acted on behalf of the widow. How much more will God, who is just, take care of his people? You process the line of reasoning. God isn't, what Jesus is saying is God isn't like the un, un, uh, un, unrighteous judge. He is unimaginably willing to give justice for his people. And the second detail that will help us understand the parable is uh, God's people are immeasurably more precious than the widow. You process, you got it out. I like it. <laughs> God's people are immeasurably, that, that, that little baby is the most precious thing we got in this room right now. Uh, that's how, how, how that, that mom feels about that baby. That's how God feels about his kids. God's people are immeasurably more uh, precious, and I would say this, privileged than the widow. It's helpful to know in the society of the day, this lady had three major obstacles uh, in her way. One, she was a woman. So she was restricted from legal proceedings. She had no place in court unless she was the one being tried. You process that? That's, that's hit one against her uh, ever getting a chance at having justice. Number two, she's a widow, which means she has no husband to be her advocate in the court. A widow, a woman in the day, if she wanted justice in the court, her husband would have to go on her behalf. She doesn't have a husband. She has no advocate in court. Third, because she's a widow, she's poor, which means she would not have the means to bribe the judge as was the norm. Uh, back in the day and in this time, to get the judge's ear, you had to grease his palm. 
So anyone listening to this parable immediately understand that Jesus was painting the picture of a woman who was utterly helpless. And Jesus says, think about, think about this. Think about the unrighteous judge. He gave that disadvantaged widow justice. Don't you think things are going to be different when God deals with his elect? Who are the elect? That's God's people. That's God's chosen people, the apple of his eye, his precious children. He's talking about the people that he gave his own son for. Why? So that they could be reconciled to him. God says, you're mine and I want you back. And I sent my son to accomplish that. We are so, listen, if the disadvantaged widow in the story got the attention and the action of the judge, how much more will the supremely precious children of God get his attention and action? (laughs) Do you have any idea the privileged position we have Do you have any idea the privileged position you have if you are in Christ? Do you have have any idea of the fact if you are in Christ, you have an audience with God any second you request it? He has moved heaven and earth to bring you into his presence. You have God's ear. He's not the judge that needs pestered. He's eager to listen to the requests and petitions and longings and desperation of his people. We're not the widow. You are not the widow in this story. Helpless and without advocate. If you love Jesus, what do I mean when I say in Christ? If you are in Christ, that means if you love Jesus and you're trusting him today for your salvation and your forgiveness, you are in Christ. That means you are part of the family. You are part of, and and you've got privileges. You've got privileges of the firstborn son. See, God's people are immeasurably more privileged than the widow. And the third detail that will help us understand this story is that God's justice is never delayed and always worth the wait. You see this paradox. There's a paradoxical reality we live in where God is always on time and there is still waiting involved on our end. Uh, let's explore the, this tension that's in, that's, that we see in this parable. Verse 7, will not God give justice to his elect who hear this, cry to him day and night. You hear there's desperation, but there's persistence. There's a desire for justice, but man, they're not giving up. They're praying. Jesus says, will he delay long over them? No, is the implied answer. I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. He's not going to be late. He's not going to delay for one nanosecond. Immediately we all say, yeah, here's the deal, but I've prayed for this, that, and the other thing. And then on my end, it feels like nothing. As far as I can see, nothing. That doesn't feel like speedily. How do you reconcile these two? These two extremes, these two seemingly 
opposite realities. Jesus is saying, here's the deal. God's not slow. And the way we, we define that word, and the way we understand the word slow, he's not slow. He's not late. He's never late. Well, that doesn't mean there's not a wait on our end. This thing goes according to his time. We're on his time, not ours. So that means that certain prayers, he answers before we even pray them. In others, we wait months, even years, and still other prayers will not receive vindication until the day Christ sits upon the throne of his judgment and doles out verdicts and sentences and so on. But from here until that day, the question isn't, will he give justice? The question is, will you trust him? And just stay faithful. Jesus says he won't delay long. He'll give, he says, hey, listen, I, I'm not going to delay long. I'll, I'll give justice to them speedily. Verse 8, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, when Jesus comes back, here's his question. Will he find faith on earth? Why do you suppose he asks that question? You think Jesus is curious? You think there's something he doesn't know? Oh, I don't know how this thing ends. Is there actually going to be anyone on earth trusting me when I get back? Um, if, I, uh, if Melanie and I are on a certain evening or leaving the house and going on a date, and I turn back to my teenage boys and say, hey, when I get back, am I going to find a clean house? <laughs> why, why would I ask that question? Now, personally, I'm not uh, omniscient. I'm not all-knowing, so it is actually, I'm a bit curious. Uh, but no, the point of asking that question is, uh, is to spur diligence on in my teenagers. <laughs> I'm saying this is what I'm about, and so I want you to be about it while I'm gone. This is what I'm going to be looking for when I come back. Uh, you know, Jesus asks, will I find faith on earth? It's kind of like saying, will you be willing to stay faithful? Will you strive to stay faithful in the meantime? Why? Because he wants us to stay faithful to him to the very end. He wants us to finish this race. And the tension that we live in right now is the already but not yet kingdom of God. Which means that there is, like, there's a brief, endurable lag time. You process that. A brief but endurable lag time between now and when Christ returns. And between now and then, life's going to take it out of us. But Jesus wants us to finish the race. And he knows we can't do it on our own, and we need God's help. So he tells this parable. Why? He said, I don't want you to lose heart. And if you don't want to lose heart, you got to pray. You got to learn how to pray in every situation. This parable teaches us, I believe, today, northeast Wisconsin, on a su sunny February morning, this teaches us that we need to ask God for help. He, the author of Hebrews says it this way Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace 
that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The psalmist, as I read earlier, says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. If we want to make it the long haul, we got to get in the habit of looking to that God for help in all situations, at home, at work, out in the world, whatever you're going through. This means we have to develop the habit, I would almost say the reflex, of stopping whatever we're doing and saying, God, would you, uh, would you help me right now? Here's what's going on, God. You know what's going on. Would you help me get through this? Would you help me stay faithful to you in this challenge right now? This probably means that we need to pause and detach from, uh, from the noise and maybe the screens and maybe go for a walk or close our eyes or just take a breath and simply ask God to help us. Uh, when I'm talking about prayer, I want you to know something. Often, when we think of prayer, we view it as one more activity that we gotta add to our already busy day. And that's not what I'm talking about. Having, having times of concentrated, uh, guarded prayer is good. I recommend it for everyone. But I'm specifically talking about throughout the day, pausing and saying, God, would you give me a hand right now? I can't do this, right? God, would you help me get through this? Even if I think I got it, God, I know I don't got it without you. Will you, will you help me? Um, one of the most important prayers that we can learn to pray is simply this, God, please help. So my challenge this week, try this out, experiment with this. Would you try this week, every day this week, five to seven times a day, would you pause and say, God, would you help me with this? Let's see what happens. <laughs> what if he actually helped? It'd be a game changer, wouldn't it? I invite you to stand now and receive this benediction. When I say uh, have a good Sunday or whatever, if you would like to pause and just, just reset your prayer life right now. I invite you to do that. If Daniel, are you in the back? Daniel, I didn't ask you. You're in the front. Can you come and, and, and play something as we, uh, just to give a little bit of time for, for, for prayer here? Sorry, I, I didn't ask Daniel this in advance. But we live in the new covenant and he's obligated to forgive me. <laughs> Right, just when, when everyone trickles out, if you, if you would like to take a moment just to pause and, and reset your, your, your prayer life and look to God again, uh, I invite you to do so, so now. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And God's people said, amen. Have a wonderful week, church. We'll see you next Sunday.